0: There are few things in our lives that measure the the extent of our spiritual maturity than what comes out of our mouths. Uh, What we say to each other, what we say in our actions and reactions, what we say when good times and in really difficult times of life are all indicators of of where we're at in our spiritual journey. And we'll talk about that this morning. Pastor Christian has read our sermon text, the third chapter of James, first verse 12 verses. If you would like to follow that or keep your Bibles open to that. I walked across the living room one night. My youngest daughter, Lindsay, was, had the TV on. And I said, what are you watching? And she said, it's Ripley's, believe it or not. And dad, they're about to show the biggest, the longest tongue in the world. Sit down and watch. And after the commercial came on, they did show the person with the world record. Tongue length, and we talked about that, and how gross it was, and how they they were able to roll it all up and even get it in their mouth, and it was just kind of a of a a, kind of a gross thing. But as I left that uh, living room and began to continue on in my study, I thought, I've known of tongues longer than that. I've known of tongues that wrapped around a community. It went through a church. I've been victims, as you have, of times of tongues that, that were so extensive in what they said. That lady on TV might have the longest tongue in length, but I have met far greater uh, tongues in, in, in duration than just that. Few things measure the depth of our spiritual maturity than, than what comes out of our mouths. Well, we're reading through the uh, the book of um, of James, about a hundred verses long, preaching, trying to, preaching through it. Uh, we come to this portion in the text. It is the third time in our fifty two verses that James has mentioned something to the context of what we say and how we say it, and it gives us a warning about our words. I would certainly indicate that James, that indicates that James writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit is onto something and knows this to be a significant issue for not only for these people, but for all people. And so we look at these 12 verses, well-known verses in chapter 3. Remember that James is writing to first-generation Christians about 60, 50 years after the death of Christ. Uh, we read of the inception of the church on the day of Pentecost in the book of Acts, the God, the Holy Spirit came in full measure in a new dispensation and it was a miraculous happening and things began to happen and people wanted to join this Christian church. And so in the city of Jerusalem, at the center of all things Jewish, a crucified and resurrected Christ was lifted up, so to speak. And and these Jewish folks began to come to Christ in great, great numbers. Uh, over Uh, Several thousand people had joined, 3,000 the first day, another another event, there was 4,000 that joined. Thousands of these Jewish Christians were accepting Christ as their Savior and beginning to live their life, not just based on Jewish tradition and faith, but but upon the, the principles and ways of Christ as their Savior. And while there was perhaps some great excitement in Jerusalem as the church began, it didn't last too long before the powers that be had had enough and persecution broke out. It's recorded in the book of Acts in the seventh chapter uh, when Stephen stood up to testify at the public meeting. That's really not what they call it, but that's the closest association I can find to to the church today. He stood up and testified, and starting with the prophets, he began to tell them about Jesus. And when he got through, the Jewish leaders were so indignant, they seized Stephen. By force and rushed him out of the temple and out to the edge of the city And threw him down a little cliff and threw rocks at him until he died But all the way he died They had never seen anything like that before And it caused uh, the whole situation caused great persecution upon these newfound Christians And they were beginning to be persecuted for their beliefs in Christ And they ran from Jerusalem I would say they ran for their lives but while the persecutors must have believed that if they made it real hard and costly to be a Christian, it would stamp out Christianity, it had just the opposite effect, you know, because these persecuted Christians went every direction, and they took their story, and they lived their story with God before others. Instead of doing away with, pers- with Christianity, it, it, ex- it expanded it, and everywhere they went, more people wanted to accept Christ. And so, Paul, so James is writing... As the head of the Jewish church, the first generation of Christians, James is writing a letter of instruction and encouragement to this group of persecuted uh, Christians. He he describes it as the 12 tribes scattered. He begins, as we know, by trying to be a voice of encouragement to them. He reminds them that God is at work in the midst of their difficult time, in the midst of the things that are happening they don't understand. God is at work for their good. He, He encourages them to stand firm. His word is persevere. He reminds them and gives them a great verse of scripture that ought to be a part of our everyday life as well. If any of you doesn't know what to do, he said, just ask God who gives wisdom generously to all who ask of him. I hope that you begin your day asking God for his wisdom and how you should act and the decisions that you make. I hope you don't make major decisions in your life until you've consulted the almighty wisdom, knowing, and giving God. It's a learned discipline, but... How uh, what a great privilege it is and James tells them that they're being blessed even in the midst of their persecution and then he shifts gears a little bit and then he begins to talk to them about the fact that God is not only trying to to bless them and help them to endure their persecution but God wants to use their suffering to be a witness to those around them and he encourages them to act and react like Christ in their life makes a difference and then James picks a, a couple of thought patterns that are very unique to me He begins to talk to them about their religion. What kind of religion do you have? He reminds them what true religion is. He seems to be saying, listen, it's not enough to be religious. If you want to stand the test that you're going through and the hardship, if you want to endure with God as your Savior and leader, it's going to take more than just being religious. You've got to know, have the foundation of why you are religious. Then, as we looked at last week, he seems to talk to them about their theology and reminds them that good theology is necessary Good theology today is necessary for you and I. Theology just being the study of God and and good theology of who God is and who Jesus is. And God the Holy Spirit is is, is a key to our successful living. James reminds him that having good theology is not not, not just adequate enough. He reminds him that even the demons have pretty good theology, excellent theology. And uh, it seems to be encouraging them not to give themselves over to folk theology or our our, what we think is theology and boy there's a lot of that in the world today in uh, educated circles it's just referred to as folk theology it's just what a bunch of folks believe it might not be in line with this book but boy they believe that folk theology significantly I was at a restaurant this week uh, eating by myself and the guys in the next table behind me were debating religion one of them was a Jewish man who had married an evangelical Christian. I would, I would classify evangelical Christianity as somebody that, that, that likes Billy Graham or understands Billy Graham and, and the struggles they were having in their relationship. And the other one seemed to be a, a regular churchgoer, a praise team leader of his denomination, of his church, and he simply told the Jewish guy, you know, th- this is what this is I believe. And, and he said, I, I just think if you just believe, get a good set of beliefs, and you're just real serious about it, that, that's good enough. I wanted to stand up and say, no, it's not. And I asked the Lord for wisdom. Should I, should I inject myself into their conversation? I would love to. And the Lord said no. And so I ate and went on, but reminded me of the fact that there's so much folk theology in the church today, Folks. If we believe anything other than what this book says, we are in trouble. And James says that just having good theology is not enough to endure the stress of life. You've got to know what that theology means to you personally. You have to be, have your foundation in Christ himself. And accept Christ as your savior and understand the, the, the completed work of Christ now chapter 3, he seems to change a little bit, even a, a different, go down a different uh, a path. James seems to be talking about how these Christians in the midst of a difficult time are reacting and responding to each other. How a group of Christians who are, who are trying to band together and endure what, what life and people are doing to them, how they begin to act with, with each other. I would acquaint it to something like a church setting. And how the Christian people react and, and interact with each other. I will tell you from my years in ministry and my years in business, uh, James's topic is still a vital topic today. Sometimes the church that should be a haven for all hurting individuals, sometimes a church can be pretty brutal. Sometimes a, a, a prayer meeting, a, a a prayer, a Bible study, or even a prayer group. Sometimes when Christian people come together, if we don't intentionally uh, make sure it doesn't happen, the very things that we say can be very negative. I want to tell you that in every town in America, that's probably a slight exaggeration, but my belief of every town, there in every, around every church, are groups of people who used to attend church and be a part of church and be involved in church but no longer go to church anymore and they will tell you again and again and again it's because of what was said or what was done to me within the fellowship of God's people and it should not be so And so James tells them uh, in this uh, in this third chapter be careful about what you say because it really matters and uh, what comes out of our mouth is a great uh, it's a great example of of our, of our walk with God, our growth with God, our maturing in God, I'm glad that James adds the fact that at the end of this uh, very beginning of this, of this setting, I'm glad James adds the fact that no man is perfect. We all stumble. Now, by the way, that's no excuse for not being intentional, but we all stumble. And I have as much as anybody has. And I have, I have uh, learned the lessons the hard way. And sometimes, had as the old saying of getting your foot out of your mouth, sometimes I've had both feet in my mouth and other people's feet and, and mis- done all the mistakes. But I hope that I am getting more like Christ in what I do. I was 23 years old and traveling the country and holding revivals and had finished Sunday night in, in a town in Kentucky, Ashland, Kentucky, I think. And my next meeting was in Spencerville Ohio uh, just on the western uh, uh, edge of Ohio by the Indiana border and I made my way there for a Tuesday night and we had a we had a great service I, I think and a wonderful altar service many people seeking the Lord and I went over to the pastor's house after after we got through praying it was about 10 o'clock at night sitting around their kitchen table and and he was from the south and he said to me brother Larry tell me what's happening in the south I, I'm so disconnected there long before the days of internet and mobile phones and all that and I said oh we got a pastor down there that is just about to do the most terrible thing. I said, he, you know this guy, everybody in the church knows him. He's a big name. He goes to a church. He stays two or three years. Attendance skyrockets. He doubles and triples in size. They begin to, begin to, they begin to spend money like they're that size. They borrow money. They get in debt. And he's gone in a couple of years. And the attendance goes back down to where it was when, when, uh, when he first came. Only they've got this big debt. And he's gone to do it another place again. And I said, he, now... He's even removed the name Nazarene from everything in the church. It used to be Trinity Church of the Nazarene. Now it's just Trinity Church. He's taken it off the bulletins. It's off of his letterhead. And I said the word on the street is he's about to leave the Church of the Nazarene and take an entire congregation with him and shame on him. And boy, I told him everything that I had ever could ever think about that man in his disgust, and my disgust of him. The pastor's wife kept saying, Are you sure? Are you sure? Are you sure? And after I had said everything I could think of and a little bit more, she said, I don't believe you. That's my brother, you know. (laughs) And she said, when was the last time you have talked to him? And I said, oh, my, I've never talked to him. I've never met him. I've never I've been in a room with him when he was speaking and, and leading some kind of seminar but but I must tell you that I don't have firsthand information and I am so sorry and I it, it was a it was a defining moment in my life to learn to, to to be careful about what you say and all those kinds of things and it turns out he was not doing all those things and leaving the church he was so he was so such a visionary he was trying to appeal to a group of people who were in a community who had rebelled against the church because of all the bad things that have happened and and I just went on and on and on and on and finally, I. Said to her all I can say to you ma'am is I am wrong and I am sorry and ask you for forgiveness and I see that lady and her husband every time uh, several times uh, in the in the course of life and every time I see her she reminds me of our conversation about her brother James said words can be very damning and damaging and you ought to be careful about what you say and how you say it because because we're we're trying to do a great work for God I tried to, I've, I've, uh, in my study this week, I've tried to find out the, average, the weight of an average tongue. And it's, it's, it's two to four ounces by that. And I've tried to calculate the percentage of, of the weight of a tongue to the weight of an average person. By the way, I've uh, discovered in that I'm a little bit above average in the average person. You know how much they weigh. Tiny little, little, little member of the body, but does great damage. Sets on fire. Great forest. And. I've watched the news shows of the fires raging in California. And the destruction is so alarming and the progression is so consuming to think that it started with just a little bitty spark somewhere. I traveled in Colorado one summer and from place to place in the midst when Colorado was on fire. And they tracked some of those gigantic fires down to, a, to a, 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 a cigarette butt that was not fully extinguished that was dropped in the wrong place. Destruction came. James says, if we're not careful, that's the way We can be with what we say. Please know I'm not trying to make anybody feel bad. I'm not trying to harp on this or hound on it. I'm preaching the text that is before us. And if it's a problem to them and under the inspiration of God's word, James says it's a problem for these people. It's probably still a problem for people today too. So I just want to remind you this morning that words matter. And what we say matters. And what comes out of our mouth matters. Our words help or hurt. Our words build up or tear down. Our words encourage or or, or go the other or discourage. James says, our words praise our curse. The Bible has a lot to say about what we, what we say. Ephesians 4, 29, Paul says, don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. Proverbs 18, 2 says, the tongue has the power of life or death. Paul says, we can grieve the Holy Spirit by what we say. One of the seven things God hates, as recorded in the sixth chapter of Proverbs, is a lying tongue. I want to tell you, folks, that we all stumble, and, and the enemy is at work to exaggerate everything that we say that could be turned in a, in a, into a bad way. What we say matters, and we ought to be careful and responsible for that. I've read uh, years ago that the average man speaks 24,000 words a day. I think that's probably a little bit uh, too low and... And uh, I won't tell you what the average female was supposed to have spoken, but it was a little bit more than 24,000. That's a whole different story. Think about giving an account to God for every word I've spoken. I'll tell you, folks, that drives me to my knees. Think about in the electronic world we live in. Every word I've typed, every th- message I've sent electronically, uh, to give an account of all of that, to stand before Almighty God. Even the parts that were related to God's people to have to get an account of what we said to other Christians. How we've messaged them and and, uh, all the things. It's an awesome responsibility. What we say matters. And of all, if there's ever a way that we seek to let God help us, it is to help us think before we speak. And to be Christ-like in what we speak. and to I, I used to think it was told as I was raised by the greater Williams family. If it's true, it's, if it's, true, it's not gossip. But I've learned that a lot of things that are true are better left unsaid. I've tried not to spread the gossip of this or that. I've been careful at times, as I told you in, in, in at churches, I've been a part of to, to get my name out on the prayer list because they start talking about you and it becomes a whole big deal before you're through. I don't, uh, I'm proud to be a part of a church as this. I don't see these things being, being huge issues for us, but we have, must be careful about what we say. There are people that do not go to this church today because of something that was said or done. By the way, I'm not talking about anybody specific, but in 116 years that uh, this church has been in existence, I assure you that is true. Our words matter. And we ought to let God help us, and we ought to ask God to help us, and give, uh, help God to give us the wisdom to know what to say, how to say it, when to say it, and the discipline sometimes to keep our mouth closed. I think Elizabeth Elliot was a, a retired missionary, a former missionary whose husband was killed by the people she eventually went to serve, said a Christian should never lose an opportunity to keep their mouth shut. I was reading in this context about one of our former president's daughter. I think it was, it was one of the Roosevelt's and he said his daughter had a fine saying. If you can't say anything good about somebody, come over here and sit beside me and let's talk. <laughs> oh, if we're not careful that becomes so easy to do even in the church world. Our words matter. You know, the problem though is really not our tongues. We know that. It's really not our tongues. It's really not what comes out of our mouth that is the real issue. The issue goes far deeper than that. I thought about the things. I wrote down the things I've heard this, in the last two weeks. Not, not, from, not from this context, but, but as I've just been out in, in, in town and visiting with people. I've, I've heard people say these things. I just felt like it was time to give them a piece of my mind. Or one lady I heard tell another customer at a store, I got up on the wrong side of the bed today. You better watch out. Or one said, I'm just tired. I'm just so tired. And, you know, that just makes me say uh, things I probably shouldn't say. I'm I'm just tired. Uh, One uh, person said, I'm having a bad day. Uh, One one lady said, you know, that just hit me the wrong way. And then I heard the great southern expression said in so many times. You know what that is? Well, bless their hearts. And heard that said in such a way almost as if to make excuse. When I hear that in the south, I don't hear that expression anywhere else in the country. When I hear that in the south, I kind of I begin to, 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 to take, hide behind my shield. Because if they're talking about me, I know they're going to say something that's not very encouraging. Bless their heart, bless their little hearts. And then I heard a guy on TV say something really derogatory and discriminatory and then he ended by saying, Lord, forgive me. Lord, forgive me. I shouldn't have said that. Lord, forgive me. I know that's part of their persona. But so often, we're so quick to say, Lord, forgive me. as an excuse to justify what we've said instead of saying beforehand, Lord, help me not to say it. The problem, folks, we know is not our tongues. The problem goes far deeper than that. It is a problem of our hearts and if we don't let Christ come into our lives and take over and take charge and take control, then we are, we're, we're never going to be able to master what we say in the way that it, it truly is encouraging and not discouraging. And it, it's, it's uh, not inflammatory. It's not exaggerated. It's, it's, it's spoken as if God himself was speaking. It's spoken as if we're going to give an account of who we, of the words we say to God. The problem is really not our tongue. The problem is really within and Jesus is the key for all of that. Isn't it amazing that James says, no man can tame the tongue? Man can get every other animal under control. You can, you can train giant elephants. You can, uh, you can do all kinds of things to tame God's creation. No man can tame the tongue. But I thought this week, well, then why do you keep asking us to do certain things in what we speak? I think James is indication of no man can tame the tongue, but I know a Savior who can. And I remind you this morning that the trouble, it really is within our hearts and life. We've never really surrendered all to God. That's an interesting thing to say to church people. We come to an altar of prayer. We pray. We ask God to forgive us of our sins. We, we, ask, we repent of our sins. We ask God to live in our hearts and lives. And, and, and we go up from there and believe that all things are, are, are taken care of. And, and there's an element in, uh, when that is somewhat true. But, but we fall short of surrendering our lives to God fully. We don't talk about that much in the church today. We used to talk about it a lot. We ought to talk about it more than we do. Surrendering our lives fully to God. He has our life. He has our present. He has our future. He has our plans. He has our tongues. He has our money. He has all of us so that we can truly say, as Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, not our will be done, but your will be done. Folks, that is not a, just a dream out there that's, that we talk about that's not achievable That is present reality in the way God wants us to live. We will never achieve perfection in that, but we ought to be better at it today than we were yesterday, or better this year than we were last year. We ought to be more Christ-like in what we do, even in our even in what we say. And it it comes from the from the depth of our being that we have surrendered our lives over to Jesus. And let me tell you from my experience, folks, it's not a one-time at an altar event and you don't think about it anymore. It is a day-to-day-to-day process. And when you get up in the morning or whenever you get, get out of bed and you begin your day, whether it's morning or night, and you spend a little time in God's Word, and your prayer is, Lord, give me wisdom today. I surrender this day to you for me. I surrender my life for you this day. God will do amazing things in us, through us, around us, by us, because of us. It's a problem of not fully surrendering to him I doubt that there's going to be anyone at the great judgment day who gives an account of their works who tells God looks God in the eye and said I just got up on the wrong side of the bed that day or, I'm just having a bad day or I'm tired or you know I said bless your heart twice or I ask you to forgive me as soon as I said it again and again and again folks God has a greater way for us to live than to live under the, the, the power of the enemy and, and, the, and the effects of sin we can surrender our lives to Him, and in giving our full lives to Him, He gives us birth, a rebirth, and helps us really become the people God would have us to be. I think it's an interesting thought process James takes in the midst of encouraging first-generation Christians who are, who are suffering to say, don't turn on each other. Help each other. Be encouraging for, with each other. And remember, uh, to tame your tongue, as my Bible says. To make sure that your words lead one to Christ. And I will tell you this again. That we're not ever going to perfect this folks. But that's no excuse for not trying. And when we fail. When we stumble as James says. We, we, repent, of our, we repent of that moment. And we ask God to help us in the same situation again. Not to fall and miss the mark like we did this time. As Christianity is a progression. We sometimes Uh, hesitate to talk about that in the church we grow in God's grace there's a point and a crisis when it all begins but there's there's a whole life of growth afterwards and God help every one of us who strives to be the men and women he would have us to be to learn (coughs) to control our tongues I worked for the school district for a while part of my responsibilities included the facility well I was about facilities and the maintenance crew and the custodial crew and and uh, the you know the the grounds people and the people that really keep the school going who don't uh, get much recognition for that but it was interesting to hear some of those guys were recreational rumor starters and they did it for fun they'd say these things and start rumors just to see how long it take to come back around and uh, it was a it was a, a very vicious setting at times God help our church to never be a part of that. God help us to never be a part of it, to stop it, to end those kinds of things and to learn to tame our tongue. The problem is not our tongue. The problem is a spiritual problem of our heart. But thank God we can give ourselves fully to Him. And what we can't do, He can do. And find that we have greater strength and a greater sense of responsibility. And we reflect Christ in a greater way. That should be every one of our goal and it's possible as we seek to serve him. James knew what, what he was talking about. And he knew that if these Christians would survive, they've got to not only get over the outside forces of evil, they've got to get over each other as well. And they, and, they, uh, uh, and they respond in a proper godly way all the time. May that be our desire too. And I challenge you this week to begin every day asking the Lord to help you with what you say. I told the Wednesday night crowd a few weeks ago that I sometimes judge a successful day when I lay down to go to sleep at night. Is there anything I've said that I regret? I'm not going to tell you how many times the answer to that is no. (laughs) But, uh, but, But we all struggle with that. But that ought to be our goal. And God helps every one of us. And we can be a witness for Him in the midst of all things. Thank the Lord for His great goodness to us and that He seeks to help us become more than a conqueror through Him who loved us, and everybody said, "Amen." Would you say that? We thank the Lord for His help, Lord. We we, uh, we come to you today in the midst of uh, discussing a serious subject in Scripture. And the fact that you inspired James to write it three different times and what we identify as fifty-two verses is amazing. But it sure indicates to me the problem sometimes is greater than we think it is. And so, Lord, we want to surrender, collectively surrender our lives to you today. We want to be people that reflect Christ in a positive way. We want to help one another, bear one another's burdens, care for one another. It's especially hard with personalities that clash with ours. But, Lord, your will and your presence is greater than those conflicts. And may we live this week with a renewed sense of your presence in our lives. Lord, if there's unconfessed sin in our life, may we repent of it today. If there are needs that we've not acknowledged that we need to turn over to you, may we do that today. And may we begin every day in full and complete surrender. For Lord, I've learned a long time ago that left to my own, I make quite a mess. But your way is always the right way for me. And so we ask you to work in our church and uh, to work through our lives and to guide us in all ways, and to use us as a witness to further your cause. And we're so thankful that you don't give up on us, that you seek to help us at every step of the way. We ask these things in the great name of Jesus today. Amen and amen.